Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Tyler Moran can describe President Trump's immigration policies in one word, cruel. We had four years of President Trump and that administration put in place approximately 1,000 policies that uh, were all intended to gut the immigration system. Tyler has spent the last 25 years working on immigration, both in and out of government. When she joined the Biden administration in 2021, she was on a mission to undo what Trump's White House had done. And President Biden ran on restoring order and fairness to the immigration system. And I volunteered on the transition team. And it was exciting to think about things like um, turning back the Muslim in the refugee ban, reuniting children, sending a bill to Congress that reformed our immigration system once and for all. There have been some genuine accomplishments on President Biden's watch, but the fundamental problems haven't been fixed. Right now, attempted crossings at the U.S.-Mexico border are at their highest level in decades. There are also reports of infighting within the administration about the proper response, what to do, how fast to do it, what the politics look like. Even Democrats have lately criticized the president's approach. Tyler Moran left the White House earlier this year, But she hasn't stopped looking for solutions. Immigration is this big, huge, complicated problem that never seems to get solved and is always full of frustrations. I I wonder why you keep working at it for year after year. (laughs) Because we have to. I believe that we have to solve the system. I believe it's the right thing to do. I hope we look back on this time and feel shame about the way we are treating people in this country that simply are coming to seek a better life. Today on the show, when President Biden got elected, immigration advocates on the left had high hopes. But immigration policies remain muddled and the border remains a mess. Are there better ways to deal with the millions of people who long to become Americans? and better ways to talk to the Americans who want to keep them out. I'm Seth Stevenson filling in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person, Anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When Donald Trump was in the White House, his senior advisor, Stephen Miller, led the way on some pretty hardline immigration restrictions. What were your emotions as you watched that happening? 
It was heartbreaking. I'm going to go back to the 2012 election. If you remember that the Republicans came out with their postmortem and they determined that they really needed to reach out to Latinos, that they needed to embrace immigration reform. And so it felt like we were moving into a new era. And to see an administration that came in and that was, it was so cruel and it was so personal. And I think the low point was really when they decided to rip 5,000 children away from their parents as a parent myself, thinking about my children when they were younger and how panicked they would get if we were just out of sight. And the fact that they were taking these children as punishment for people coming across the border. I mean, think about those first two weeks and all those people that went to the airports that were sort of making the statement of, you know, what he's doing doesn't align with our values. One of the things that happened under Trump was something called Title 42. Can you explain what that is? Title 42 is a 1944 public health authority that permits the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC. It permits them to prohibit individuals from entering the country when there's a danger of the introduction of communicable disease. And so what Stephen Miller did and the Trump administration did was they used it in early 2020 to shut down the border to people coming in from Canada and Mexico if they would be in congregate settings along the border. So what this meant is that everyone, including those who were seeking asylum, would be promptly removed without an ability to ask for protection. I want to be clear, Title 42 is not an immigration authority. It's about public health. And I should note that Stephen Miller attempted to use this authority multiple times in 2018 and 2019, citing the flu, citing cases of measles and mumps, and he was thwarted at every time. And it wasn't until 2020 that COVID presented this opportunity to implement what he had attempted for the past two years. And since Title 42 has been implemented, 1.7 million people have been expelled at our border. On April 1st, the scientists at the CDC made a determination that there is no longer a public health justification to keep Title 42 in place. And so it will no longer be used beginning at the end of May. Sounds like you're saying the Trump administration wasn't so much concerned about public health as it was opportunistically using a tool to keep people out of the country. Is that fair to say? Well, I think that there's been a lot of confusion about what this authority is and what it isn't. Certainly, we know from Stephen Miller that they were going to use every authority and means under their power to keep everyone out, not just people who didn't have documentation, but refugees and legal immigrants. And so certainly, um, we thought that they used this authority improperly. The Biden White House has said it will lift Title 42 next month. That's something President Biden promised to do back when he was campaigning. Why did it take this long to actually do it? Well, the president did campaign on eliminating Title 42. The justification for keeping it in place for as long as they did were the new variants, Delta and Omicron. 
and that it put migrants at the border and border patrol agents in congregate settings at risk. Now, in the president's State of the Union this year, he talked about the country going back to normal, the elimination of mask mandates and people going back to work and kids going back to school. And so the same stands for the immigration system. I think, you know, if you look at the backlash now to Title 42, one of the Trump administration's legacies is that it's so normalized shutting down the border and banning legal immigration that it's a radical concept to follow the law and now allow people to ask for asylum. If it's not a radical concept, what about the effect it would have? Would it have a radical effect or not such a big effect at the border? On the border, I do think that numbers will increase when Title 42 is taken down. And there's been a lot of reporting about the high apprehension numbers at the border. But an apprehension means the system is working. (laughs) It means that Border Patrol is apprehending or catching people at the border. And some of those people will ask for asylum and they will have a right to do so. And some of those people will be removed. In fact, if you look at just like the general percentage of people who ask for asylum, it's only about 35% of people. So Republicans are portraying this as they're going to be open borders and the floodgates are going to open. And one can stand for secure and well-managed borders and also for the right of people to seek asylum. It's not an either or. You mentioned that Republicans will portray this as opening the floodgates. But in the time since the White House announced it would end Title 42, a lot of Democrats have come out and said, no, this is premature. We should wait. Why is that? Why are there divisions within the party? Well, I think they're making a mistake. President Biden campaigned on a fair and orderly immigration system. In the last week of his campaign, he closed with an ad about reuniting families, and he won. And Democrats campaigned on a fair and orderly immigration system. So I get that they're being attacked and they are feeling nervous, but they need to stand up and articulate their values, which is standing for a secure and well-managed border and also allowing for people to ask for asylum. And by the way, what they're all asking for is illegal. Title 42 is a public health authority and the public health experts have said there is no longer a need for it. So you can't illegally use it to shut down the border. One of the issues at the border has been this long delay in granting people asylum and the conditions Mm -hmm. that they end up living under while they're waiting to see if they'll be given asylum. And something the Trump administration wanted to do was to make Mexico share the burden of that and take some responsibility for that. Did they have a point there? Was that a reasonable approach? It's not a reasonable approach. You know, look, the asylum system is broken. It was not set up to handle the number of people that are asking protection or the number of people that are coming to our border. It can take four years for someone to get an answer on their asylum case. One thing that we did under the Biden administration is we issued a new regulation that reformed asylum so people would get answers in a matter of months, either approved for asylum or denied asylum to address the situation and that critic 
racism. But no, forcing people to wait in Mexico, it was called the Remain in Mexico program, was not the answer. And in fact, it put many, many people in danger. There were reports of violence, rape, and kidnappings. On the first day in office, this administration stopped enrolling people into that program and then formally terminated it, but due to a Republican lawsuit, um, has been forced to implement it over the last few months. But no, that is not the way to reform our asylum system. The way asylum works is that we have a legal obligation under U.S. and international law to allow people who are seeking protection to ask for asylum. I want to be clear, not everybody asks for asylum and not everybody qualifies for asylum. And those who don't are removed. Is there a way Democrats could be framing this politically better than they are? Absolutely. Fair, orderly, and humane immigration system. That's what Democrats stand for. As I said, they stand for well-managed borders, secure borders. They are not open borders, but they also believe that people seeking protection have the right to ask for asylum. If you look at the polling, that's what the American public supports. The problem is, is that when Democrats don't articulate their values and don't articulate their vision, Republicans fill that void with their rhetoric about crime and people taking jobs and the need to expel everyone. And you're not really giving the American public a choice. (laughs) So what they really have on their hands here is a messaging problem. um, And they need to just, as I said, stick to their values. When you joined the White House, there were, you mentioned lots and lots of Trump policies you disagreed with. Was it as easy as you thought it would be or more difficult than you thought it would be to roll those policies back? Immigration is very, very complicated. And things that seem like they should be easy ended up being really challenging just because the nature of a bureaucracy. So I'll give you one example. There was a program called the Central American Miners Program, and it allows children who are living in Central America to apply to legally come to the United States to reunite with their parents. And the reason why it was put in place under the Biden and um, the Obama-Biden administration is to give a legal way for kids to come so they don't come unaccompanied. So it's a safer way for them to migrate. The Trump administration eliminated this program. We restored the program. The challenge is that when you've gutted a program, that means all of the nonprofits in the refugee system that used to administer the program needs to be stood back up. We had embassies in the region that were closed due to COVID. We had to outreach to let people know that the system was back up again. So it just takes time. It's not as easy as saying the program exists again. You have to do all of the work to actually get it functioning. That's sort of restoring something. What about rolling back something and eliminating it? Is that easier? Well, certainly, I guess when we eliminated the ban on Muslims and refugees, so it's easy to say that we're not going to do that anymore. But again, when you eliminate something, then you have to restart it. And restarting it when the system has been gutted is challenging. Uh, We stopped wall construction. That was immediate. We said that we were going to pause deportations for 100 days so we could assess who was in the system and if really the people were in detention are the types of people that should be removed. You know, some of those things were immediate. Of course, litigation came and stopped the pause on removals. As we speak, the number of people attempting to cross the border is at the highest level in a couple of decades, I think. 
Are they the same kind of people that were trying to cross the border 30 or 40 years ago? Are they coming for the same kind of reasons? Or is this different populations and different motivations than in the past? So let me first put some of these numbers in context, which is number one, because of Title 42, um, there are a lot of repeat attempts to cross the border. So for example, in March, 28% of people uh, made multiple attempts to cross the border. And this is versus an average of 7%. And so um, the number of people is actually fewer than the number of apprehensions. The type of people coming to the border certainly has changed. Instead of people primarily coming from Mexico and Central America, we have movement across the hemisphere. Um, I will note, though, that not everyone is coming to the United States. They're also going to places like Colombia that took in over 2 million people from Venezuela. Brazil, um, where a number of Haitians migrated to Brazil. So because of climate change, because of the COVID economies, it has really put people on the move like never before. If you watch Fox News or you you listen to elected Republicans, you get a certain kind of portrayal of who the people are coming across the border. How would your portrayal of those people differ from what Republicans paint them as? Well, I guess people just need to think about if you and your family were threatened by violence or cartels, if you couldn't feed your family, what would you do? You would do anything likely to protect them. And that's exactly the type of people that are coming to our border. Some people are coming because they're fleeing violence and persecution and their governments can't protect them from the cartels and the gangs. Some of them are coming because Uh, The droughts in Central America made it so that they can't afford to feed their families. So people are coming for legitimate reasons. Uh, Republicans try to portray people as a threat to our country, and immigrants have always been a huge benefit to our country, economically, but also culturally. We'll be back after a short break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One new set of people coming to the border right now is I think there are thousands of people coming from Ukraine. Are those people being treated the same as the people who are coming from, say, Central America? 
Well, I think that there had been um, recent reporting about folks from Ukraine being paroled into the country. And because Title 42 is in place, the norm would be that people would be expelled without inability to apply for asylum. I guess there's a couple of things here. Um, number one, the president made a commitment to allow 100,000 refugees to come to the United States. Um, and so what they're doing is taking the the first step in bringing people in. There are obviously people fleeing dangerous situations from across the Western Hemisphere, and it is absolutely unfair that they will continue to be expelled until Title 42 is taken down. I will note, just looking at the latest data from March, that even under Title 42, only approximately 50%, half, of people were expelled, and the other half of the people were processed into the country, either to pursue an asylum claim or to be put into removal proceedings. So when Title 42 is taken down, anyone will have the right to ask for asylum. Are the optics bad right now if you have Europeans from Ukraine kind of skipping the line in front of people from Central America? I think certainly the groups that represent Black migrants feel very frustrated about the unequal treatment at the border and that the impact of Title 42 definitely has had a disproportionate impact on Black and brown immigrants. It seems like the problem with immigration, it's always sort of fundamentally the same, where you have a lot of people who want to go to a richer or a safer country for a better life, and then you have various people inside the richer, safer country who don't want to let them in. And so if that's always the issue, is the answer about convincing the people in the richer country to be more accepting and generous toward immigrants? Is it about creating impregnable security to stop people from even trying to get in? Is it about making the countries that people are coming from richer and safer so they don't feel compelled to leave? Is it all of the above or something else? The, the problem seems in some ways really simple and fundamental, but in other ways incredibly complicated. So number one, we have to invest in the countries to help, you know, stabilize their own economies. We have to create more legal channels for people who want to come to the United States. And by the way, we need those people if we want to keep Social Security solvent. We need immigrants to keep our economy afloat. And then number three, we have to have a system for people to apply for asylum that's fair and orderly. And of course, we also have to manage our borders and secure our borders. So I think sometimes that immigration is portrayed as open border and closed border, and it's really much more nuanced than that. And unless an administration really takes a multi-pronged approach to the issue, you're ultimately not going to solve the challenge. I'll also say that any administration, whether it's Biden or a Republican, there's a lot you can do with executive authority but really, Congress has to have a role in fixing our immigration system. It's only Congress that can create more visas for people to come for employment purposes. It's only Congress that can help families reunite. And it's only Congress that can create an earned path to citizenship for people who are here. So without that, any administration is really working with one hand behind its back. You describe it as a multi-prong approach, but there, there are always trade-offs. Which prong do you prioritize or which one do you deprioritize when you have to make choices? Well, I would say that investing in the regions where people are coming is incredibly important. 
if you only deal with immigration at the border, you're sort of losing, right? Because you haven't addressed the reasons that drove people to our border. And so if you can start to identify, are people leaving because they are fleeing violence? Are people leaving because the economies have tanked? Are they leaving because they want to reunite with a family? If you start to address those reasons, then it will reduce the number of people that are coming to the border. Of course, anyone who does come to the border and asks for asylum has the right to ask for protection. Um, but the idea is, is that we're solving some of these migration challenges in the region itself. If I gave you a magic wand and I said you can enact one immigration policy, poof, cut through the red tape, it just it just happens. Which policy would you put in place? <laughs> can I count immigration reform, which has everything? <laughs> it manages the border, it legalizes people. <laughs> that seems like cheating to me. That's the problem with immigration. And I think um, some people who come to this issue who are new feel like, why can't we just solve this? What is the one thing? There isn't one thing. Immigration is incredibly complicated and you absolutely have to take a multi-pronged approach to solve the problem. Um, I mean, look at President Trump. His magic wand was building a wall and cruelty um, and separating families. Guess what? After they separated 5,000 families, after they put Title 42 in place, there was the largest spike in migration in decades. So that doesn't work. So I do think putting real focus on the root causes in the region, which not only means putting these policies in place that address the push factors, but it also means significant funding um, to realize those policies. It's been a long time we've been working on this, and I think it's hard to say that it's gotten a lot better. Are you optimistic? Well, the world is dealing with this, right? I mean, we have millions of refugees, millions and millions of refugees on the move. I think climate change is really just going to exacerbate all of these challenges. So I don't think these challenges are going to get easier. But we have to have people, policymakers, coming to the table and rolling up their sleeves because the answers aren't that complicated. There just has to be a will to pursue them. Tyler Moran, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for inviting me. Take care. Tyler Moran was the deputy assistant to the president and senior advisor for migration in the Biden administration. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Carmel Del Shad, Elena Schwartz, and Mary Wilson, with help from Sam Kim and Anna Rubinova. Joanne Levine is executive producer of What Next, and Alicia Montgomery is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And I'm Seth Stevenson, filling in for Mary Harris. I'll catch you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.